My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's a bear market. Oh, sure, it went down hard on Brexit fears, then actually rallied almost back to even when those fears were eliminated. But the word is we're in a bear market nonetheless, right? I mean, with typical sucker bear market behavior, lures you in and rips your lungs out, right? Bear market. There, I said it. That and $5.35 will get you a triple venti cappuccino with skim wet at Starbucks. Yep, after an ugly day, and then not so ugly day, a day where the Dow at one point plunged 351 points for rallying to finish only down 206 points, S&P declined 0.76%, NASDAQ sank 0.90%. Thank you, Apple. Let's recognize that many stocks have labored in sector-wide bear markets for ages, and this is nothing new. There's no revelations here. Just keep moving. It's not like we just woke up this morning and found ourselves in Jellystone National Park running for our lives, or at least running faster than our colleagues because that's who the Grizzlies are going to maul first. In short, the bear market appellation, worthless, worthless. I mean, it gets us nowhere. It tells us nothing. It brings nothing to the table. But before we dig into why that's the case, let me tell you a little story about bears. I know bears. I went to bear camp once. I know bears. Years ago, many years ago, when I had a lot of hair, I used to mountain climb. Oh, boy, did my mother like that. I'm what's known as a 46er, meaning I've climbed every mountain in the Adirondacks that's more than 4,000 feet high, many of them in winter because I'm a real glutton for punishment. One time, one time when we were done climbing, we went back to our base camp, and I found a bear. We all found a bear. Our group found a bear. Bear in our lean-to. Oh, he was rummaging through our stuff, just like a bear is now rummaging through your portfolio. I didn't know. I didn't know whether to run or stay on my ground. That's where we are now, right? With many running, running out of tech, running out of healthcare, running out of the remaining cyclical winners, certainly running out of the banks, as surely as there will be runs on the damn things. Isn't that what it feels like? Which, of course, won't happen because the balance sheets are incredibly good. Many are busy buying back shares and many shares as they can. And Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, well, we just found out they took a 35.6 million share stake, 35.6 million shares in J.P. Morgan. But back to the bear story. Who cares about that, right? Okay, there's the bear. Bear's clawing and rummaging, okay? taking our gear, looking for the food. The other guys, they all skedaddled. Me? Me? I decided to stand my ground. Thought it'd be a little sly. What did I do? You see, when I was mountain climbing, I always carried M&Ms with me. Wherever I went. Hey, come on, you need a little pick-me-up, right? And I always carried cans of Spam. Vile, I know, but this would survive thermonuclear war. So it sure as heck can survive a trip up Mount Marcy. And I never went anywhere without Tabasco sauce because you needed something to cover up the taste of the Spam. And by the way, of course, it was pre-Franks, mind you. So I took the bowl that I like to eat the Spam out of, you know, not that bowl, but this bowl. I took the name of Bowie and I took the bowl that I like to drink the Spam. They eat the spam out of, right? I don't like it wallowing in that Gowanus Canal-like sauce that it's in. And I filled the bowl with M&M's. I was about 30 feet from the bear. Oh, bears can smell sweetness. Oh, man. Hey, they got big nostrils. And you know what? 
from 10 yards away. It was no sweat. So it turned out. It turned. It turned. It sniffed the air. I remember. Sniffed the air. I could tell this one was going right for the M&M's. But right before the bear could pounce on it and me, I doused the M&M's with the Tabasco. <laughs> Darn bear came charging down. And I ran as fast as I could to a nearby tree. I watched. I watched knowing it could be life or death. My life or death. That big black bear, he put his snout in the bowl. And he started chowing down those Tabasco-drenched M&Ms. And wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? The bear really didn't like the hot sauce. The big old thing started gasping and huffing his darn full head off. <laughs> Not kidding. And then, and then it ran headlong into a nearby river to cool its mouth off. <laughs> and then it took off like a bear out of hell. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you can outrun a bear. You can't. I'm not saying you should let him eat all your food and then hope he doesn't turn on you. <laughs> Who wouldn't? I am saying that you got to be clever. You have to think, okay, I'm not going to panic. I'm going to use my head. And I'm going to outsmart the darn bear. So how exactly do you do that? I've got three surefire Tabasco-sauced M&Ms that can protect you from being too mauled. <laughs> Always loved that when he did it. <laughs> Just like a bear. Anyway, first, pronouncing we're in bear market territory is about as useless as pronouncing we're in bull market territory. It just means that something's up that was up is now down. I mean, it doesn't mean that companies' fortunes have changed. It means investors have decided to bail on this because they know the bear's going to devour anybody who gets left behind. I get that. However, if you examine individual companies and think about what represents value, you can do better than you think. I take the stock of Home Depot. Here's a high-quality company that just reported excellent numbers with a big buyback that's levered to the home repair and remodeling business, not necessarily the new housing starts. Yet when Home Depot reported, the initial, initially, initially the stock just got hammered. Everyone concluded that the quarter must be bad. Today, though, shareholders outran the bear, and Home Depot stock went higher. Did the fortunes of the companies change in 24 hours? Not at all. But how about the stock? Let me tell you something. If Fed Chair Powell, Jerome Powell, says he's winning the war against inflation, give him a W, so he won't need to tighten three times next year, well, you know what that is? That's Tabasco sauce. It's going to send the bear running. <laughs> now, Home Depot would have been a sell when the stock was at 215 or 210 or even 200. Down here below to, to, to 180? I mean, are, are you kidding? Now? Now we wake up that it may not be so good? I mean, now? That doesn't seem too smart to me, although maybe it is smarter than the average bear. So first, recognize that even a bear market can trick the earth sign attacker by picking up stock in great American companies with fabulous balance sheets that will do well if the Fed decides to take a break from tightening. Second, Oddly enough, the bear's using a two-pronged fork to devour your portfolio. One prong is extremely sharp, the president's tariff spear, and that's going awry for certain. When the new year begins, the tariffs rise to 25% automatically, although I'd love to be pleasantly surprised. The other prong, that's the Federal Reserve's prong. It's rate hikes, meant to slow down economic activity in order to stamp out inflation. So you need to use the vicious selling to look for stocks that are being slammed, even though they're not actually getting stuck by either prong of the fork. Look, I get that you always hear there's no hiding in a bear market. I, I, I'm not quite on board with that. You know why? I've been, I've been in 11 bear markets, okay? I've been in 11 bear markets where you could trumpet that such and such a sector is in bear market territory, or the averages are in bear market territory, or all stocks in bear market territory, and you could hide successfully and even buy in 10 of them. That's right, 10 of them. 
Only the financial crisis was so bad that you had to sell or else, or else risk losing a huge chunk of your capital, a capital that took people years to make back. When I shouted back then that you should take out any money that you might need for the next five years, I meant it. Oh, by the way, I was right. This is not another financial crisis. It's not like that. It's more like the 10 other bear markets I've been through, where there were plenty of places to hide. Kind of like in the outlaw Josie Wales, when 10 bears tells Josie he can go in peace. Which brings me to my third red-hot M&M of a tip. If you pick stocks with accidentally high dividend yields because the stocks have fallen so low, even as their balance sheets are pristine, you're going to feel very good about yourself when the negative fog lifts and those stocks bounce right back and the bear cools off its mouth. Bottom line, don't panic. Don't get scared. Don't stop looking for opportunity. This is a man-made bear market where we're being torn to pieces by two grizzlies, President Trump and Chairman Powell, who don't seem to care at all about the damage they're doing to your nest egg. But there are still opportunities out there if you stay calm and you know where to look and you are ready with the Tabasco and the M&Ms. Karen in Illinois. Karen. Hello. Karen, yes. Uh, Oh, is this Jim? (laughs) Oh, is it ever? Oh. Wouldn't I know by now? Yeah. Well, Jim, um, my husband passed away leaving me a widow at a young age. Okay. So what did I do? I tuned you in on TV, and you were recommending Apple stock at that time. And I, it was $7, and I bought 100 shares. Yes. And if you look at what I've done now, you know, with splits and seven to one and whatever. Anyway, I've been hooked on you ever since. Oh, you're very kind. I'm sorry for your loss. You're very kind to mention it because I have been behind Apple that long. And there are people who say, Kramer, you buried me in Apple at 205. I mean, what am I going to do? I liked it at seven. I'm not changing my my mind. So thank you for mentioning it. What's up? I'm I'm sticking with it. I've been following Wayfair, and I see the stock, uh, the furniture stock on TV often, often, often. And um, I, I, it's been going up, up, up. Well, now all of a sudden there's a crash. Right. And you all, you're saying don't buy McDonald's until it goes down. Right. Well, if I was ever going to buy Apple, maybe now's the time. I mean, uh, Wayfair, maybe now's the time to buy it. But um, I, because of the um, interest rates right. on housing, I thought maybe people would buy furniture instead of a new house. Right. But I don't, I don't know. What- well, you know, look, first, first, thank you for the kind words. That's an interesting assumption. It's just the problem is this. That is, hey, look, that stock has high growth. But if we are in a tough situation, the high growth stocks without the fir- fabulous balance sheets are not going to do as well. So I'm, I'm pulling in my horns. I'm being a little more cautious. I think that if you want to own something housing related, I'm going to go to Carol Tomei. I'm going to go to Craig Manier. I'm going to go to Frank Blake, previous CEO. I'm going to go to Home Depot, especially because it's down 40. Maybe it goes down another 40. I get to buy more. That's my take. Thank you for the kind words. Damien in New York. Damien! Hey, Kramer. This is uh, Steve. I've got my nine-year-old son here that has a question for you. Sure. It's the omen. Hello, Kramer. Hi. Jim? I like that. Kids got horse sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm nine years old in New York, and I, uh, I, I just love your show. Oh, thank you. I'm doing some nine-year-old things, frankly. You're hilarious. Um, let's see. Um, I'm being adopted. Um, and the first day I was with my parents, okay. my new parents, I was watching your show with my grandpa. All right. 
And um, I've been watching it almost every day since. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, um, I need some advice on IBM. No, oh, you came to the right place. Um, you came to the right place. Oh, yeah. Um, they, uh, the IBM bought Red Hat, which has been leading them into lots of debt. Right. Well, I re- personally think that they should have bought Red Eye. Red Eye? How about Fire Eye? I would have liked them by Fire Eye. Well, look, first of all, oh, Damien, we actually... I get that wrong. Oh. That's okay. There's no exam. Um, we don't oh, grade yeah, hard. Um, we grade on a curve anyway. Um, what do you think about IBM anyways? Okay. Uh, IBM under 120. First of all, with Damien, we love it. We love it when kids call it. I mean, it's just fabulous. I mean, when I started the show, no one ever believed that anybody would turn in. We got every age coming. I think IBM at 120 is fine. I really do. It's come down so much. I can't, I can't sandblast it right here. But I do love it when kids call in. And I made Damien a little extra special kind of, you know, Halloween potion. Now, anyway, it's a bear market. The trick is to outsmart it so you don't regret your position when you're out of its territory, which does happen. <laughs> Only money tonight. What does this survey say about SurveyMonkey's first results as a publicly traded company? I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out. Then, rumors swirled last week that SeaWorld was going to get taken over by Six Flags. Oh, while they turned out to be unsubstantiated. Does the company have its sights set on other deals? I got the CEO. And my exclusive was Cisco. I'm digging deep into the numbers with the CEO after earnings. I say stick with... Hormel? No. Kramer! Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Okay, a few weeks ago I told you to steer clear of a fresh-faced IPO called a SurveyMonkey, S-V-M-K, I should call it, SurveyMonkey, this is how you probably know it. It's a popular cloud-based provider of online survey software, better known as SurveyMonkey. Why did I do this? Well, the stock had just vaulted from 12 bucks, where it came public, to fifteen seventy, And I wasn't wild about that price. It was too expensive. Then SVMK pulled back to 10 and changed during that big October meltdown. And I wish I had recommended it there, because last night the company reported a strong quarter, sent the stock flying up $1.48 or 13% today. Remember, there's a bad day for tech. SVMK delivered a smaller than expected earnings loss, higher than anticipated sales, up 18% year over year, while average revenue per user increased by nearly 15%. And look, even after today's rebound, the stock is up less than a dollar from its IPO price. So could SVMK be worth buying here? Let's take a closer look with Xander Lurie. He is the CEO of SVMK. He had a better read on the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Lurie, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. First, I want to tell you, my wife's on the board of a college. And I asked her, I said, do you know Survey Monkey?" And she goes, yes, we use them. I said, well, why did you choose me? And she said, well, there's nobody else who does what you do. That's our favorite response. It does seem like you do have a hammer lock on this particular kind of business. We created the category in 1999, and we've been growing ever since. Uh, 20 million questions are answered every single day on our platform. So it is the leading category leader. Um, you know, human beings can come on ask questions, collect feedback from the people who matter to them. And that really is what's so special about our software. We sit in between 
a human being asking another human being questions to collect that sentiment, to collect those opinions, and that is how you do better. I want to know, do you think that the IPO gave you some more visibility? I said that because this was a rally, really a radical uh, acceleration in your growth this quarter. The IPO was a huge opportunity for us to really introduce our enterprise platform to companies. Every CEO you bring on this set, CFO, yes, they're talking about tariffs. Yes, they're talking about inflation. But you know what's really driving business today? How are my employees feeling? How is the belonging and inclusion of my African-American employees? Talk to me about what Asian employees are thinking about our new employee benefits. NPS, customer centricity, the cultural issues are what really are mattering to CEOs and CFOs in the boardroom, and that's how people use SurveyMonkey. Now, you also, uh, when we were out at Dreamforce, signed a big deal with Mark Benioff, whom I know is an investor, and paid roughly these prices for it. But what does that mean? Because we know Salesforce is a big force in business. So this is a huge opportunity. for Salesforce has really taught everybody how enterprise SaaS works. We're going to school on Benioff's playbook. The biggest use case around CRM, people use our our software for customer experience. How do I do better by my customers? And how can I find my next set of customers? And so that's how you really have to measure the quality of your products, the quality of your campaigns. So we have an integration that we sell to Salesforce customers. And we're working closely with them on product development, marketing initiatives. We're steering into those partners. And that's a real differentiator from our competitors. We're an open platform. So Microsoft, Slack, Google, right. Adobe, Salesforce, we really are Switzerland, and our products, that, that data flows seamlessly into those other systems of record. Okay, well, we were concerned when we did the write-up. We weren't. You were. I was saying we were concerned that you weren't, I <laughs> did true, that you weren't, that you've been around since 1999, and we're looking for some profits, and we didn't see any. Now, I mean, you can adjust some things, but it is true that the company's not made a lot of money. Gap, nanny, come true, but you know stocks better than anybody in the world, and you know Cash is what matters. And yes. so let's talk about our business. Okay, let's hear it. Last, uh, this quarter in Q3, we delivered 18% year-over-year revenue growth okay. on track for a, a similar number year-over-year year for, for the fiscal year. Our cash flow, 17% margin. Adjusted EBITDA, 26% margin. Right. And so when you look at our ability to generate cash, why are we so successful doing that? 90% of our revenue is derived from subscriptions. When we go to bed on December 31st, 75% of our next year's revenue is either booked on the balance sheet or it's renewable with our existing customers. So it's a super sticky customer base. And as we upsell to the enterprise, we see that revenue uplift go 4x. So we get a big collection of self-serve users in the enterprise. And then when we sign an enterprise deal with some of the 300,000 organizations that use our products, see a big uplift in revenue and that revenue retention. This is going to be a really healthy cash generative business for a long time. And over time, we will be net income positive. It's very rare that new issues are net income positive. Fair enough. Now... Uh, your uh, Tom, Thomas Hale, your president, talked about an acquisition SAP made uh, for a company called Qualtrics, and it seemed like that they, if you just had to look at it on employees and revenues, it would value, if it really were a complimentary, I know there's 10% overlap, it would value your company at a substantially higher valuation than the public market. I'm all in favor of that. It's true, though. So, SAP's a real company. SAP's a big company, and I think the, this $8 billion acquisition validated just how big this category is. This is a multi, multi-billion dollar global category. There are hundreds of thousands of organizations who need to buy enterprise software to measure the sentiments of their employees, of their customers. So if you look at our competitor here, um, they're going to be owned by SAP. It's a right. large... We have to worry about that. European SAP's a lot of company. And we have Google, which also has its own kind of survey system. Yeah, Google is, is, is not a competitor. We see a, lot of, um, we see a lot of our paid customers who move into SurveyMonkey because of our features. But if you look at our competitor here, they're going to be a division of SAP, large ERP, European right. company. We're steering into where Microsoft, 
and Salesforce and Adobe and Google have real market leadership. I think from a cultural standpoint, it's going to be a real advantage for us. And so kudos to the folks at Qualtrics. I love our competitive positioning today. Well, I want to circle back to this notion that what you talked about at the top, because I think it's really important. We didn't really used to care what people think in our companies. I worked at a company, not even mentioned, but all they cared about was whether I made a lot of money. Yeah. All I cared about was whether I made a lot of money. It's a different era. Now people care about different things. Yeah. But they can't figure it out. How do they figure it out other than to bring you in? Well, thank you for that, that it's advertisement. True. It's true. I mean, if you look at today, it's the tightest labor market in history, right. especially in technology. We are all in the technology industry. Every right. single CEO you interview up here, his or her industry is being affected by technology. Amazon is running retailers off the road. Right. Why? Because they don't understand what's going on with their employees, with their customers, and it's the best CEOs who are really investing in the culture of their company and understanding what employee benefits are going to matter in the future. And you can use SurveyMonkey in ways to learn the insights you need to be a better CEO, be a better CMO, better you know, leader of HR. Well, I've used it many times and actually uh, been a client, and I want to thank you so much. That is Xander Lurie, L-U-R-I-E, and he's the CEO of SVMK, which you might know as SurveyMonkey. Man, money's back in. The market has been a roller coaster, and Six Flags suffered a precipitous drop. Can this company climb its way back to the top? Or is it too much of a thrill ride for your portfolio? All right, what are you circling back to say as the market continues to get slammed? Many people say bear market. Okay, three weeks ago, Six Flags, the largest regional theme park chain on earth, reported what the analysts almost universally described as a disappointing quarter. The stock went into free fall, plunged 16%. company posted a $0.16 cent earnings miss off of a $2.32 basis. Remember, this is the analyst saying this. We could then expect its sales up 7% year-over-year. What drove these shortfalls from what the analysts were looking for? Six Flags had some attendance numbers up 5%, lower than the analysts were looking for, along with lower per capita spending. At the same time, their operating costs rose by 14%, but that's mostly because they recently bought five new parks with significantly lower margins than the old ones. They can raise those margins. Management blamed bad weather for the weakness, which makes sense. Plus, it didn't help that Six Flags reported during the big market-wide meltdown, uh, which made it all, all the easier for investors to panic after seeing a suboptimal number. Now, if this was really a one-off shortfall, something caused by bad weather, and, and the need to integrate those five new parks, then the recent pullback might be a buying opportunity. The stock sells for less than 20 times next year's earnings. It posts a bountiful 5.5% yield. But we need to make sure the fundamentals are sound. So let's check in with Jim Reed Anderson, the chairman, president, and CEO of Six Flags, learn more about the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Reed Anderson, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Jim. Have a seat. Thank you, you so much. Okay, so Jim, you know, I got a call on, on the stock, and I, I, I had listened to a Wedbush analyst who was, I don't say he was not complimentary, but he, he's concerned. Yeah. Obviously, I always say don't reach for you. The fact is, the stock did get hammered after the last quarter, but it also seems like there's a pattern of it getting hammered. And I just want you to straighten out the narrative a little versus, say, Wedbush, organic concerns, further complicated by international uncertainty, uh, Key Bank uh, saying some things about how they're cautious, uh, Wells Fargo cautious. I just got to be less cautious. Sure. Well, Jim, you pointed out rightly that the market suffered a meltdown while this was all going on. We definitely had bad weather that impacted us. And if you take the last year average, Basically, the weather impacted us to the tune of about 700,000 guests, which is a lot of people. Um, so it's a, a big hit there. But the most significant thing, and I think we talked about this before, is that if you go back eight years and you look 
As soon as we report the third quarter, pretty much every single year we have dropped, and then we've come back consistently and hit new record highs on our share price. So there's a, con there's a message here, it's every time people believe we miss, but the reality is if you went back eight years ago, something like 70% of our attendance came in the peak right. summer months. Right. Now it's 50%. We've shifted this and made quarters like the fourth quarter profitable, whereas they lost money historically. But, I mean, you, we have cold weather right now. Um, I know you're not at liberty because of, of when you reported, right. but I would love to be assuaged to some degree to not believe that there aren't problems, say, with Dubai, where people felt that the partner may not be happy, or China, where there's a pushback. Because some of these international ideas, to me, have always been a terrific engine of growth. Yeah, they, ha uh, they have been, and they continue to be an engine for growth. But if you think about those parks, they're providing upside for us now. But the reality is that they haven't even opened yet. So there's opportunity still to come. We're at 13 parks internationally. But the big drivers of growth right now are an active pass base right here in North America, up 9%. We've taken pricing up. We've got memberships growing at record levels. We've, we're at levels on memberships, two million members. And that's something we've never had before. Our all-season dining pass, we passed a million you know, members or, or active dining pass holders. A first, we, we're going to hit our ninth record year this year. And even with the disappointment that you explained, Jim, right. we're sitting year to date at record earnings and record revenue. So the right. growth is there. Okay, so let's take this, uh, the Wedbush. He says, third quarter print, or number, was a significant disappointment. And while a lack of transparency remains somewhat of an obstacle to a full understanding as to the makeup of the miss, we continue to be concerned about the organic growth trajectory of domestic parks and have new concerns of talking about international. But how about this idea about the organic uh, understanding a little bit more about, about the or organic trajectory of the domestic parks. So we feel very strongly about the organic trajectory of our parks and the success that we've had consistently driving growth. But these Eight people years, say that you don't give them the information that they need to make their money. They're analysts and they want more and more information. Yes. And, and we have made a relatively minor acquisition that's added and supplemented our growth very, very successfully. Jim, we've had eight record years. We're headed for our ninth record year. 32 record well, quarters. You know, I hear you, but no, I mean, are no. people stupid every summer with the stock? I mean, I don't understand. I but mean, it happens every summer. After the third quarter, just look at the numbers. You've Is seen them. Is there any analyst who understands this? Because all the analysts, universally. Most, no, most of the analysts support us and have us as buys. Right. So well, you happen to have looked at a couple of analysts. and Well, again, and, because I'm trying, remember where I'm coming from. I see the stock go down big. Yeah. And I say to myself, I am telling people I want uh, to be uh, for yield. Yeah. I still believe the cash flow is definitely there and the right. passes are terrific. So I'm trying to figure out why the heck do they sell knowing that it's a record year? And, and I'm just, you know, I think both you and I are puzzled. And I'm puzzled for sure, but I see it as a, as a buying opportunity, Jim. If right. you go back eight years, the third quarter, the right. share price drops, totally and right. then it comes back. It's happened every You're year, absolutely right. and I fundamentally believe it's happening again this year and that we will come back strong in terms of share price. And with a nearly 6% yield, I mean, how do you beat that? Well, okay, so we want to be sure. It's not like you're, you're, the parks have gotten too expensive or else you wouldn't have those passes. Pay, uh, the the growth up. in the passes, 9% It's not like up. that you're uh, – I know Cedar Fairs have similar problems with the weather, so I check off on the weather, absolutely. Right. I, I guess my last question – uh, would be, do you think it's because people keep thinking you're going to buy SeaWorld, which people don't like? 
Well, you know we would never comment about anything right. like that. I, I don't know what people are thinking yeah. with regard to SeaWorld. Obviously, you, you should probably ask them what they're thinking. Certainly. From my perspective, Jim, five major opportunities for growth for our company. We're delivering successful revenue and EBITDA growth literally consistently year after year, quarter after quarter. And these five growth opportunities will provide growth for us for, we think, for years to come. We're early on in the Six Flags growth story. Well, I, I would fundamentally say this, believe that. Because you are here, and because I look you in the eyes, yeah. and because I know the cash flow, I believe in your depiction of what's going and on. And you have right from the beginning, and yes, we I have. really appreciate it. Absolutely, and I believe sir. this is the best growth and yield story that you have, Jim. I would not let me be very, very <laughs> true. Thank you, sir, to Jim Reed Anderson, Six Flags Chairman, President CEO. And he's right. I backed it all the way. But you got to look a guy in the eye when you see a stock down like that. And I think you should do the work. There's a very clear group, uh, a series of facts. I find them to be transparent. I like the story. They have money's back in. Okay, what do we make of Kramer fave Cisco now that it's reported? Under the fantastic leadership of CEO Chuck Robbins, this company has gone through a major transition from being a network hardware play into a much more diversified operator with exposure to plenty of software, especially for security, the cloud, the Internet of Things, all the fast-growing areas that I like. Cisco just reported to close tonight, and the numbers were fabulous. A three-cent earnings beat off a 72-cent basis, but much more important, higher-than-expected sales. Up 8% year-over-year, I was looking for 6%. And expanding margins, healthy guidance. Oh, and they have a voracious buyback. We're purchasing $5 billion with the stock this quarter. $14 billion more left this authorization. They got plenty more cash behind if they need it. While Cisco's stock has pulled back from its recent highs, along with the rest of tech, it's still up nearly 20% for the year and is up nicely after the close. No bear market here. That said, I think this could have a lot more upside. But don't take it from me. Let's dig deep with Chuck Robbins. He's the chairman and CEO of Cisco Systems. Find out more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Robbins, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, it's great to be here. How are you? Oh, Chuck, I'm fine, thank you. Why? Because you're the only good news the whole day. I didn't see a single <laughs> item that wasn't better than expected. But I want to start with just a kind of more of a holistic approach. Just You've become kind of the infrastructure play for the Internet of Things. And I want people to know that it's not just software, but the hardware is selling incredibly well, too. Yeah, Jim, first of all, you know, I'm really proud of what our team's accomplished. We had probably one of the most consistent quarters that we've seen in a very long time, whether you look at it across our product categories, our uh, geographies, or our customer segments. So our teams have done a great job. And I think the reality is, when you look at IoT or you look at this transition to the cloud, the reality is, is that our customers are navigating an environment that is much more complicated than they ever dreamed. And the network is at the heart of that. And you know the distributed security architecture that we built, uh, obviously, accommodating IoT, accommodating multiple clouds, accommodating, accommodating SaaS providers, the software as a service that they're consuming, and the network's actually become more relevant than it was in the past. And so uh, we're really pleased, and uh, I believe that our strategy is working really well right now. I mean, it seems also your uh, place to go to onboard the cloud. I was thinking about IBM and Red Hat uh, as an interesting combination, but you're doing a lot of the similar, similar things for your clients. Yeah, the irony, Jim, is if you go back four or five years and you look at the cloud, it was viewed as an existential threat to us. And I think today it's actually driving our growth. This this expansion into the cloud that you see from our customers is driving our growth because they're having to re-architect their, their IT infrastructure 
to accommodate the traffic flows that are just nothing like they were when they built their original architectures. And if you look at the partnerships we've built with Google and Microsoft and AWS and the ability for our customers now to build applications in the, in the public cloud, bring them back into the private cloud or the other way around, and extending policy from the private infrastructure into the cloud seamlessly, we think that's going to actually provide a phenomenal capability in a very simple way to our customers. They don't want another complex you know, platform they have to run. They really want to just be able to seamlessly move these workloads when they need to. And they obviously want your security software because a double-digit software game for a company that is very, very, uh, very, very large is pretty impressive. Yeah, our security is continues to accelerate, and our teams, this architecture that we set out three or four years ago to build, people didn't quite understand what we were, what we were doing, but we believe that in the world that we live in today with our customers, you have to have an architecture that extends from the endpoint to the cloud to the network, you know, through email at the app, into the application, and you have to be able to aggregate all those threats into the cloud and then defend dynamically, which is what we've been building. And as you saw some of the announcements we made this week, now integrating our software-defined WAN solution in with our cloud security products and introducing a cloud security gateway this week that uh, has, uh, has gotten really good reviews. So we're, uh, you know, we're continuing to help our customers actually expand into the cloud with the appropriate level of security. Now, Chuck, there have been two storylines that have dominated the news. One is, is that since the election, everything has just been completely chaos. And second, the tariffs are going to wreck everything. That's not the uh, narrative that you're talking about on your conference call. Well, you know, Jim, we were affected by the 10% round that came out uh, with a month ago in our quarter that we just reported. And we implemented some price increases as we said we would. And frankly, we didn't see any difference in the momentum before we did that and the momentum we saw after that in the quarter. And uh, obviously, we, we would prefer that the, the tariffs don't get increased to 25% in January. My belief all along has been that once we got through the midterms that the administration would begin to really focus on this. We're beginning to hear some positive sound bites uh, around this, and I'm optimistic that uh, that we'll get to some resolution that uh, that is good for both, and really allows us to continue this global expansion of the economy that we've all been enjoying for the last few years. All right, now Chuck, also uh, Kelly Kramer, your fabulous CE, uh, CFO, no relation, does mention finally that some raw parts that have been dogging the stock, the D ramps, could go from being a headwind to a tailwind. What does that mean for your gross margins? Well, I think there's a couple things. Kelly, Kelly is fantastic, by the way, and she spells her name with a K, so there's definitely no relation. But uh, she uh, she has talked about there's a little bit of a headwind left, but it's getting a little better. And we're also seeing some of the you know the benefit of the software shift that we've talked about in our margins. And so our guidance was slightly higher relative to what we have been guiding on the margin side, and I think it's attributed to both those things. But we still will see a headwind, as she said, in the next quarter. But we think long term we'll be able to navigate that. Okay, uh, then one other thing we got to talk about, because I, I talk about it with Mark Benioff, it's not fair not to talk about it with you, philanthropy, uh, bridge to possible, i, I got to talk about the homeless, where you are, because people don't think they're already homeless, but you are one of, the, uh, along with Mark, felt that maybe it's not such a great thing to have homeless living next to billionaires. Well, if you look in Silicon Valley, it's, it's the third highest rate of chronic homelessness for a county, Santa Clara County in the United States, and and look, the reality is, is that we need healthy, thriving communities, and we need everybody to be able to participate in, uh, in this economic growth, and we need inclusive growth. And that starts with solving for fundamental needs like not only homelessness, but affordable housing and hunger. 
but then it also expands into you know providing education, helping people gain the skills that are needed for the next generation jobs. We have 1.9 million students enrolled in Cisco's network academies around the world right now, trying to help them gain the skills that they need for these next generation jobs. So. I think it's our responsibility, Mark believes that as well, as a business community to actually play a significant role in helping deal with some of these issues so that we can have healthy communities. And that's what he's doing in San Francisco. And we're not doing it alone. There are lots of people, lots of CEOs who care deeply about different aspects of these issues and are working very diligently on them all across the region. All right, let's leave it at that, Chuck. Congratulations on the 8% sales growth. It's really extraordinary. Great to see you, sir. That's Chuck Robbins, Chairman and CEO of Cisco Systems, with a truly excellent quarter. Stick with Quick. It is time! It's time for the lightning! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate dance over the lightning round. Crimson, I'm going to start with Bill in Minnesota. Bill. Excellent. Bill in Minnesota, Jim. My stock today is Microchip, MCA. And not that great semiconductor company with this whole world coming back down. We are not going to recommend that one at all. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Kramer. Thank you for all that you do for us and for all of your great advice. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, my stock is First Data Corp. That with quarter, the was, a bad earnings that and quarter a week- was a bad quarter. It really shocked me. Stocks all went back down to 17, probably overdone. But you know what? Do we really need that when we get PayPal, MasterCard, Visa, and Square? Bob in New Jersey, Bob. Wow, that's truncated. Yeah, Bob. Yes. Bob. Yes, hi, Bob from New Jersey. Right. Question for you. I'm thinking of buying shares of Blackstone. I'm endorsing that. You got a nice yield, real smart guys. I think that that's a decent situation. A lot of people are always troubled by it, not me. Let's go to Amy in Nevada. Amy. Hi, Jim. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Today. Of course. I'm calling uh, about Tellurian, T-E-L-L. Our chairman, Sharif Suki. Now, I've got to tell you, one of the reasons why natural gas is spiked is we're sending off a lot of natural gas overseas. Uh, Tellurian's got a very good setup, but it is CQP. If you want to get income and growth, CQP, Chenier Energy Partners, yield 6.7%, and I like that one more. Can I go to John in Washington? John. Hi, Jim. What do you think of Clean Harbors? I think that Al McKim has done a remarkable job. I like the stock. It's anti-cyclical. And I say, and that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I spent a lot of time talking about the Wall Street fashion show. What's in style? What's out of style? How hard it is for a stock to rally when its cohort stops being trendy. But some companies are so incredibly well run that they can triumph even when the Wall Street tastemakers are against them. Take Twilio. Here's a communication software company that helps app developers use push technology in the cloud to better connect with their customers. Now, if you've ever used an Uber or Lyft or Airbnb, you've gotten a message that was enabled or empowered by Twilio. Now, at the moment, the cloud stocks are very much out of favor of the Wall Street Fashion Show. We know that. Come on, that's not news. But last week, Twilio reported such a magnificent quarter that its stock skyrocketed up 35% in a single day. The kind of move you normally expect to see after a takeover bid, not an earnings report. I have to admit, I've been a big believer in this story for a very long time. 
The last time we went out to San Francisco, I actually visited Twilio's headquarters, where CEO Jeff Lawson, terrific guy, actually taught me how to write code to create a template that we may use for the Longshoreman or New Tuscan restaurant so we can put specials right to your cell phone. That's my plan. You wouldn't believe how easy this thing is. I'm ready to code Ski Daddy. Yet even I didn't expect a quarter this good from Twilio. It delivered a five-cent beat off a two-cent basis, much higher than expected sales, up 68% in acceleration versus last year. Very unusual. Even better, management gave bullish guidance for the next quarter. Nobody, nobody saw this number coming. It was incredible. So what's driving the strength? As also explained in the conference call, quote, our relentless focus on innovation and empowering developers continues to resonate in the market, powering our platform business model. End quote. He added that Twilio is winning the hearts and minds of app developers. Basically, their platform is spreading like crazy thanks to positive word of mouth. Plus, they still have a lot of runway to grow, as 90% of the world's contact center infrastructure still uses on-premise software, which means the story is still in its very early innings. I think it is fabulous, which is why the stock was able to roar last week. But thanks to the latest market-wide turmoil, you know, all the bull, mar- the bull market morphing into a bear market, Twilio shares have pulled back dramatically from their highs, falling from $98 and change just a few weeks after the quarter to $84 as of today. To me, it feels like a real bargain at these levels, although, of course, I'd like it lower, particularly if people keep talking about the bear market. Oh, and I have some proof that it's as easy to use as they say. Take a look. How the stock pick. Yeah. Right? Every day. And every day you have a new one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do a stock of the day. And now what, day. If, what if you want to automate this? What if you want anyone to be able to text in a number without you responding right. to hundreds and thousands of people? You can just say, text in this number, and you'll get the stock pick of the day. Well, that would be unbelievable because that would take the business to another level entirely, and people would think it's personalized. And you can do that with Twilio. Text is an amazing medium. We can right, do voice, right, too. Right. We can do Facebook Messenger. We can do WhatsApp now. I mean, there's all these different ways. Every company has ideas for how they want to engage with their customers right. using digital technology. So well, this is the digital era, right? Every company right. needs to figure out new ways right. to engage creatively with their customers and make their customers feel loved. And technology, code, and Twilio can make that happen. So should we update your app to give your stock sure, for the day? Sure. Send a text message to this phone number and... When that message comes to Twilio, Twilio will hit your code, and your code will tell it, I want to reply back. My, my I'm sending. Today I'm is, sending. Send it. Go for it. My stock pick of the day is Twilio. There you go. You can update it every single day with whatever you're picking. All right, Jim, are you ready? Are you going to demo this app in front of Twilions and earn your track jacket? In front of real people? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my. There you go. <laughs> You, you built an app where you can text in and you get back instantly Jim's pick of the day. Let's try it out. We gotta prove that the app works. That's right. part of the process. Right. Take out your phones, everybody. So just text the word pick to that number. And you'll get back Jim's stock pick of the day. It's incredible. It's incredible. The, the intensity. Anybody wanna guess what it might be? Jim, welcome to the group of millions of people who've, who've used Twilio, who've built something on Twilio, and who are changing the way they run their businesses because you can digitally engage with your customers in new and exciting ways. So because of that, we have for you your Twilio track jacket. Yeah! Give us an arm. Give us another arm. Proud! 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 There we go. Proud! Congratulations, Proud! Jim. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. 
got to listen to Jay Powell tonight uh, talk about where the economy is. And what I like to hear and what I heard is that there is slowing. It's the first time that I've actually heard Jay Powell say, you know what, we got to be careful because there are signs of the economy slowing, whether because of tariffs, whether it be just because genuine economic activity seems to be cooling off. If you're thinking that way, you're not going to be thinking, you know what, I'm going to slap on a rate increase in December, and then I'm going to just add three more blindly in 2019. But that's exactly what the market's thinking. I detected softening. Now, here's the only problem with that. I need everybody to think that things are going to be awful. The bear market that everyone is talking about, well, it's got to be universally accepted, and people have to keep leaving. And if they don't, then what's going to happen is someone's going to say, you know what, I heard a pal, I'm going to stay in. I said, every weekend has to go. That said, what Powell said tonight basically amounted to a realization that he gets that the tightenings have had an impact and that maybe he shouldn't keep tightening because the impact is going to get worse and worse and worse for the economy. And he said he did not want to be responsible for setting us back. He certainly was when he talked before about raising four times. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow.